0: Welcome, everybody, to the Leaders' Debate here on 980 CKNW for B.C. Election 2020. My name is Simi Sarah, and for the next hour, we are going to be hearing from the three party leaders on their plans for our province and why each of them thinks that they and their party are the best choice to lead B.C., We're glad we could all agree on this virtual time that we're going to be having together. So let me introduce everyone. Joining us today is Sonia Fersenow, leader of the BC Green Party. We have John Horgan, leader of the BC NDP, and we have Andrew Wilkinson, leader of the BC Liberals. Thanks to all of you for being here with us today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: A few words about the format and how this is going to go for everybody. We are going to start with opening statements from each of the leaders. Then they will answer questions that I put to them on two predetermined topics to start with, COVID-19 recovery and affordability. That is then going to be followed by a segment that will consist of questions on hot election topics. And then during each of those segments, I should mention, the leaders will also have the opportunity to question each other on the subject at hand. Last, but certainly not least... We have been soliciting listener questions from you over the last few days. Thank you very much for that. And we're going to be asking some of those on your behalf as well. I just want to note my thanks here for a moment for the input from Mike Smith, Richard Zussman, and Keith Baldry for helping us to shape today's topics and questions. Now, to our candidates. I watched the debate on Tuesday evening, so I know you all know the rules about decorum. We all know how this is going to go. And from watching that, we know that everyone is capable of following those. It was great. Shachi Curl was amazing. So I just want to reiterate that too. Stick to time, please. Be respectful. Minimal cross-talking. And as Shachi also put it on Tuesday, I really don't want to have to jump in. So let's hope we can stay the same. So for the order of speaking, the order has been randomly determined for each segment. We're going to start with our opening statements now. First, we're going to hear from Andrew Wilkinson of the BC Liberals. Mr. Wilkinson.
1: Well, thanks for having us, and thanks to all the folks for listening in and watching online. We're now into an election that is totally unnecessary, and we have to ask why we're having this election when John Horgan wrote and passed a fixed-state election law and then broke it. He broke his deal with the Green Party for a stable government through this pandemic, and it appears the only reason for this is John Horgan's ambition So you have to ask yourself, can you trust John Horgan? We in the BC Liberal Party are putting forward a very positive platform for economic recovery. We're talking about removing provincial sales tax entirely for a year. We're talking about providing financing for the tourism and hospitality sector. We're talking about a way to move British Columbia forward because we need a positive plan for the future. And we just don't see any kind of positive plan from the NDP because they're trying to take advantage of this opportunity during the pandemic to satisfy John Horgan's ambition. So the question comes down to two things. Who's got a plan and who's doing this for the right reasons? And clearly John
2: Horgan is not doing this for the right reasons.
0: Mr. Wilkinson, thank you. Now it is the turn of John Horgan, BC NDP. Go ahead, you have one minute.
2: Well, thank you Simi and I just want to tell everyone I'm zooming in from the traditional territory of the Squamish, Muscoom and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. COVID-19 turned all of our lives upside down. We don't know what the future holds for us as a family, as a community, and as a province. But we need to know that we can get through this by working together. I have a plan to invest in schools and hospitals to make sure that seniors' care is cared for and that our elders have the best quality care they can find. Our plan puts $1,000 in the pockets of middle-income families so they can get through the next number of months. We need a healthy, secure, and safe way to come through the COVID-19 pandemic. I believe that's the highest priority of British Columbians. This is not an issue for the next few months. It will be an issue for all of us for the next few years. The BC Liberal plan focuses on the wealthy and the well-connected, making sure that they get what they need while the rest of us pay the price with reduced services that we need right now. Mr. Wilkins is talking about a tax review but he won't tell us what taxes he's going to review and who will benefit at the end of the day. I believe you should tell people during the election what your plan is and then implement it afterwards. People need to have... Your time is up there, Mr. Horgan. You're well that.
0: over your time. Thank you very much. Okay. Now it's uh, Sonia snow from the BC Green
3: Party. Thank you, Simeon, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm on the unceded territories of Cowichan tribes and Malahat First Nation coming to you from my home as so many British Columbians are... Today, working from home, Uh, this has been one of the most difficult years for many of us in our lives. And it's interesting to hear John talking about working together, which is exactly what we should be doing in the legislature right now, because parents are worried about their kids in school, teachers are worried, businesses are wondering if they're going to make it through the winter, families are concerned about their elders. And in this election, we need to consider the kind of leadership that we need for the remainder of the pandemic and also for how we rebuild afterwards. The BC Greens have plans to help people and small businesses with their rent, invest in rental and co-op housing, mental health, education and child care, and to build a secure future through a clean recovery that spurs innovation and ensures that nobody is left behind. We've shown what collaborative governance can look like and we need to get back to it for British Columbians.
0: Thank you very much for that. We've now heard from all three leaders in their opening statements. So are you ready? Here we go. The fun part is going to begin now. Time to get into the questions. So for this segment, we are dealing with a specific topic, and that topic is COVID-19 recovery. I'm going to ask a question, and then each party leader will have one minute to respond. Following that, the leaders can then ask each other a question, and once again, we've drawn the order randomly. So here we go. Our unemployment rate here in BC stands at 8.4%. There are almost 100,000 people not working today who were working back in February. And the biggest job losses have been in Metro Vancouver. Our first question today goes to BC Green Party leader Sonia First to know, your party platform, released yesterday, pledges $10 billion in new spending over the next three years to help with economic recovery, but also to establish new programs such as universal early childhood education. Where will the money come from to pay for those new programs while also supporting long-term economic
3: recovery and sustainability? Thank you, and It's a really important question. Right now, every investment that we make has to be clearly targeted to get an outcome that we we focus on what people need today, what businesses need today. We know that the most important investment we can make right now is early childhood education because so many of the job losses have been for women uh, and people in vulnerable sectors. Uh, And at the same time, we have to recognize that every investment we make has to be about building a more resilient, more sustainable future for the province. So one of the things that we could have been doing as part of COVID recovery, for example, was a massive retrofit program in which people could be employed in every part of this province, as well as reducing our emissions in buildings uh, and moving us towards our climate targets. This is what the Greens offer. We're talking about the solutions that people need right now, rent for businesses, grants for tourism operators, but also building the future that we want to have that is more resilient and sustainable.
0: I'm just going to give you 10 more seconds here, Ms. First Snow, because where does the
3: money come from for that? So we know that there's going to be deficit spending. All three of the parties recognize that. But once we stimulate the economy in the way that we want it stimulated with the outcomes that we're going to get, we will see that revenue coming back. The last thing we need to do is continue to subsidize the fossil fuel industry at a time like this.
0: All right. Thank you. And again, there's one minute for your responses here. The next question goes to Andrew Wilkinson. Mr. Wilkinson. You and your party, as we heard, have pledged to suspend the PST for one year and reduce it for a second to spur economic recovery. But what happens after that? Do you commit to restoring the PST to its pre-COVID level and not increasing it beyond that?
1: We've said very clearly it's time to stimulate this economy and support people in industries like tourism and hospitality. We're in a major crisis with half the households in BC expecting someone to lose their job in the next year. A quarter of our small businesses expect to shut down completely in 12 months or less. So we've got to address this with that stimulation, that support, and in terms of paying it off, we have said within five years of a vaccine, we need to be back to a balanced budget. We can't do this forever. But governments all over the Western world are having to support their people and support their um, employers so that people can get back to work. We've also said it's time for a very solid, real $10 a day daycare program, which the NDP have completely fumbled, so that those women who are having trouble getting back into the workforce and who are the primary people to have lost their jobs in this recession, we need to make it possible for them to get back to work. It's a societal thing we've got to take on as a, a real joint effort amongst all of us to make sure we get this economy back on its feet. It's going to take deficit spending. We're not afraid of that. What we're saying is do it wisely. Don't do it by bribing the voters like the NDP. Don't trust someone who's already called an election for his pure uh, ambition. Your time is up
0: here, Mr. Wilkinson. Thank you. The next question, and again, one minute for your response to John Horgan, BC NDP. The hospitality and tourism industry asked your government for a six hundred and million dollar package back in July. Your government responded four weeks ago with targeted funding of $100 million for the tourism sector. Given how important this industry is to Metro Vancouver, what more will you do to help?
2: Well, thank you, Samia. And we did put a targeted amount in our recovery plan towards the tourism industry. And we also put a $300 million fund in place for small businesses, which include tourism operators. The tourism operators asked for a task force. That was their idea. So we could all sit down and figure out how we deal with the challenges ahead. British Columbians wanted our borders closed. That has a profound impact on the tourism sector. We're hopeful that this winter, as we start to see uh, more opportunities for people to get out and, and see attractions that bring people. British Columbia, we're hoping that British Columbians will go there, spend their discretionary dollars and keep those businesses going. But the challenges are not just for the short term, they're for the long term. And that's why we need a plan that focuses on people. Our plan does that. $9 billion in capital spending will take people and put them to work. We'll also hire 7,000 long-term care workers that will help those that have been displaced from hospitality start to retrain for new work in the future, new work that will help all British Columbians.
0: Okay, thank you. Now that's it for my questions for this section on COVID-19 recovery. But now is the time where the leaders are going to ask the questions of each other. So each of you will have 30 seconds to ask a question. And then a minute for the answer will allow for two minutes of debate between the two of you afterwards. So first up, is Sonia first to know? Sonia, go ahead and ask your question.
3: Thank you, Sumi. My question is to Andrew. We know that the BC business program is not delivering help soon enough to the right people. We saw the article in the Globe and Mail about the tourism sector grant program being ineffective. But your $7 billion PST cut really is bad policy because there cannot be any identified outcomes from it. It leaves a massive hole in revenue, meaning that government would have to slash programs and services And now it seems you're doubling down on subsidizing the oil and gas industry. Why is this BC Liberals' only major economic idea, a massive tax cut that would hurt our ability to deliver on services? Well,
1: Sonia, you and I agree that the NDP have completely failed to deliver the economic recovery package that was talked about earlier this summer and that we agreed needed to be done. But I think the core point is we need to have immediate relief for our economy. And the way to get people back involved in the economy, the way to reduce costs for small business, is to get rid of the pst for a year i've been in stores all over british columbia from sports stores to clothing stores they're saying this is a great thing because it'll bring in the customers at a time when it's been slow and that's what we need to do is keep the economy moving get people back into employment especially in small business because that's 98 percent of the employment in bc is in small business we need to make sure they're feeling yeah, absolutely market, they're ready to invest
3: Small businesses actually need our help right now. That's why we've provided a rent relief program for small businesses that would get them through this winter. But we know from what history tells us, from what evidence tell us, tells us, is that these massive tax cuts actually end up hurting. We have to find ways to ensure that government is there to ensure that everybody is able to thrive, meet their fullest potential. And when we see what happened with the early 2000s tax cuts across the board, We lost services. We lost infrastructure. We got set down on a path of homelessness, of mental health issues, of of austerity in our education system. This is not the direction we need to go right now. And economists agree it is not a time for austerity or old thinking. We need to lean into getting outcomes. That's what our platform is about, identifying outcomes.
1: And I think you'd agree that every economist in the Western world says that the sales taxes are regressive taxes. They hurt people in lower incomes much more than they... Affect people at higher incomes because people with higher incomes save more of their money, so we've said get rid of this regressive tax. Give people a chance to get ahead. The average family gets seventeen hundred and twenty dollars, and that's a very good thing for those people to be able to get out and enjoy life and do more in the economy. Because we have to be working at this all together to stimulate the economy and make sure people have a chance to get back to work. We've now got eleven percent unemployment in the Lower Mainland. We have fifteen thousand people lost their jobs in construction and. In September, so there's a pressing need to get on with stimulating this economy with things like replacing the Massey Tunnel with a proper bridge, which the NDP cancelled, leaving the biggest traffic jam in Western Canada for years and years to come. We need to have reforms at ICBC to reduce cost with, with uh, competition. From, if there's no reason not to have competition, why not let people make a choice? We need to invest in our seniors with long-term care facilities improvements that we've- All
3: those investments require revenue, Andrew. That's the important thing, is that government needs to ensure that it has revenue. Those investments are important. We agree on that, but it's important also that government has a way to, to cover those costs and to ensure that we're not going into too deep of a deficit. We all recognize how important it is to balance the books. And again, it's about getting the targeted help now and building the future that we want Massive tax cuts don't allow us to make that planning.
0: All right, thanks to both of you for that portion. The next question up is, Mr. Wilkinson, you have 30 seconds for your question. Go ahead.
1: Well, Sonia and I, as leaders of our parties, uh, worked with the NDP in the summertime to pass the necessary budget space for the economic recovery package. Every other government in Canada rolled out their package in June or July and John Horgan decided to sit on it to suit his ambitions until three days before calling an election. The money is not flowing out. That's been confirmed twice in newspaper articles, most recently this morning from the Deputy Minister of Finance. And John Horgan lied to us on Tuesday night. about your, this. Money your question, Mr. Wilkinson, to who? To Mr. Horgan, why can't you tell the truth about this failed economic recovery plan?
2: Well, I guess I should say thanks for the question, Andrew. Uh, the facts are different from the construction that you just gave us. Uh, British Columbians are uh, turning the economy around. 54,000 new jobs last month and a stimulus package that's focused on making sure that individuals, businesses and communities get the support that they need. Some $600 million in tax relief went out in September. The plan that we announced in September was a result of talking to British Columbians. Businesses, Indigenous leaders, workers, getting their ideas about where they wanted to go. That's, I think, the significant difference between you and I, Andrew. I want to talk to people, engage with them, take their ideas, and then implement them, focused on their needs, not the wealthy that have been supporting you all these years. I believe what British Columbia's Hold need on, right on, now is the government... Hold you know on, he's got 15
0: more seconds to reply.
2: I think British Columbians want a government that's focused on them, not name-calling, but focused on their needs. This election's about choices. Where do British Columbians want to go, and who do they want to lead them? We'll leave it up to them to decide that.
0: All right, Mr. Mr. Wilkinson, go ahead now.
1: Well, I think the concern, John, is can you be trusted at all? You're telling us the money went out the door, and that's just not true. Your deputy It is true Andrew. True, true, true. True, true, Andrew. It is true, Andrew. It's in the paper this morning. You didn't oh, tell the oh, truth about the economic recovery package. So how can we trust you to rebuild this economy when you've piled on twenty three new taxes that have detrimentally affected small business? Which is now in all across the province. Six hundred million people are feeling there's a confident, comfortable, effective government behind them. that's actually gonna be supporting them, not taxing them and then denying them the relief they need when they need it most. We have six hundred thousand people losing their jobs in tourism this winter. And you're saying they can have a consultation program till January.
2: They the asked for it, Andrew. They asked for the, the consultation, the man. The, what, the, the, what part of talking to people don't you understand? You're talking over me as well. You ask me a question, I'm happy to answer it. British Columbians understand that we are in the greatest crisis of the past 100 years and it won't be name calling that get us out of this it will be programs that focus on people building economies in every corner of british columbia starting with health care starting with education making sure our capital plan is there to build the infrastructure that we need that's our plan it has been working we had the best economy in the country until march when covid hit and because of the strength of our economy we're in a better position than other jurisdictions to get through this we need to focus on getting through this pandemic not name calling
1: our unemployment is the fifth highest in the country. We have 11% unemployment in the lower mainland. 54,000
2: jobs last month. Job 54,000 jobs and last month.
1: talking about some kind of vague program coming after Christmas. Not at it's all. Time Not at all. It's
2: happening the now, to the dude. It's happening right now.
1: And you didn't do that, John.
0: Okay. We'll end that there. Uh, we also have one more question here. This time it is Mr. Horgan's turn. Go ahead. Who is your question to? You have 30 seconds.
2: It's to Mr. Wilkinson, Uh, I asked you on Tuesday nights uh, about the plan that you had when you formed government uh, the first time for the BC Liberals of making 25% tax breaks for for the rich your highest priority. The consequence of that was the loss of 10,000 jobs in the long-term care sector, mostly women. That had a profound impact on people for a decade and a half. And when COVID hit, we were unprepared. Looking back on that, with the tragic consequences that families have had to endure, did you make the right choices then? Yes or no?
1: Well, John, once again, you're dredging up mistruths and misstatements from 17 years ago. The pandemic hit us six months ago. And if you weren't prepared for it, you've been in the premier for three years. So why didn't you get prepared for it? And the query now is why aren't you supporting the program that we're putting forward to allow seniors to age in the right place in the comfort and security of their home? Instead, you're talking about building more institutional care 10 years from now. We're talking about getting that Private rooms set up within five years. We're talking about a tax credit to keep seniors in their own home as long as they possibly can. That's how you govern, not by pie in the sky promises for ten years from now, and not by talking about events of seventeen years ago. We're in a pandemic yep. now, John. Your car is competent.
0: Your decisions. He's got fifteen more seconds. Go ahead, right. Mr. Wilkinson.
1: And so the concern is, Mr. Horgan, you keep talking about these indefinite programs far away to solve immediate problems. As a medical doctor, I can tell you when you're treating a disease, you do it now. You don't plan for 10 years from now. And what we're concerned about with the NDP is there are lots of in- rhetoric and insults going that's around. Your, that's your response
0: time. Problems. That's your response time. And now it's time to debate. Mr. Horgan, you can respond. Your decisions...
2: It affected the lives of 10,000 British Columbians right away when you gave a huge tax break to the wealthiest people in British Columbia. The consequences were felt Everybody 20 years, late. John, the 20 years later. The consequences 20 years later. No, no. Back. 20 years later, we were inadequately prepared because you fired 10,000 let's women. About, That's well, what we'll happened, Andrew. talk about now,
0: John. You've been well, now is the problem, years, buddy. The Your actions
2: created the problem tax today. Tax your actions or created the, the problem. We've got some
0: cross talking here, people. Mr. Wilkinson. Go ahead and respond.
1: You have been the premier for three and a half years. You have been the premier for more than two and a half years before this pandemic hit. You were responsible for regulation of the long term care sector. It was Correct. your job and your health minister's job. So if anything went awry, it lies squarely at your feet. Not what happened we t- twenty years ago. We took so action to fill responsibility, Mr. Horgan. If you want to be the premier. Real leadership requires telling the
2: truth. We took action to fix the problems you created. We put in a single site requirement you because- You had the problems on your hands for two and a half years.
1: Why didn't you do uh, it before that?
2: Well, I'm sorry, Andrew, three, we couldn't fix all the mess you left behind in one fell swoop. Take it, responsibility, John. If I am happy to, to do, to do year, that, Andrew. I asked you to take responsibility, responsibility for firing 10,000 women and putting seniors at risk at the height of a COVID pandemic. It was your decisions that put us where we are, not mine. Andrew, Everyone,
1: you repeating this mantra from 20 years ago.
2: Because you it's, it's true, buddy. It's true. Talk to healthcare and workers. You, They're the ones at the front line. You might have been a doctor in your past, but you're not today. You
1: need to blame yourself. And actually take responsibility for this. I take responsibility every day,
2: Andrew. You hide under under your bed while your while your candidates do outrageous things that dis- disintegrate the fabric of our society. You should take some responsibility, my friend. And I that's why Ashton. Okay, you to, to we be are we are wrapping that part
0: up. Thank you very much for that. That was our, I think, somewhat heated discussion on the issue of COVID nineteen recovery. We're going to move on now to affordability. Let's talk about that. The BC Real Estate Association has predicted that despite the COVID-19 pandemic, BC real estate prices are still going to increase by almost 8% this year. This is even though we've got tens of thousands of people still out of work, in spite of the fact that many development projects have been put on hold for economic reasons. Business after business tells us that having affordable communities is important to them. It helps them find employees. It helps them keep their employees. Our first question on this topic goes to John Horgan, leader of the BC NDP. Mr. Horgan, one of the reasons why the NDP gained seats in the 2017 election was the issue of housing affordability. Your government implemented the speculation tax, among other measures, yet we still have these high home prices and a very tight rental market. Given that... Can you say that those policies were successful enough and what more should be done?
2: Well, I believe we have made progress, uh, Simi, and there's much more work to do. The speculation and vacancy tax affects less than 1% of British Columbians. It puts over $120 million into our pocket, taxing people who don't live here so that we can put that money into housing people who want to live here. Now, 11,000 condominiums that were empty are now being rented by people who desperately needed that housing. We've also brought in a whole range of programs to make sure we're building more housing, housing that's suitable uh, for families and affordable in the long term. Between 2014 and 2016, the average home price in the Lower Mainland went up $600,000. Has the increase in real estate costs been challenging? It certainly has. But it is a fraction of what it was because we've eliminated speculation. The money laundering is being addressed. And now we can focus on building homes for people in communities where they want to live. I think we've done a good job so far, but we're far from
0: finished. All right. Thank you very much for that. Next question goes to Sonia First to know. Ms. Firstno, in the Green Party platform, you focus on renters and the missing middle in housing. You expand support for co-ops and affordable housing. Those are long-term solutions. What would you do in the short term to help with affordability?
3: Thanks, Timmy. And in the short term, the most important thing for renters is that anybody who is paying more than 30% of their income in rent would get support through our renters support program And this recognizes the problem that people have. This is a true measure of unaffordability, is if you're paying more than 30%, you're not really uh, in an affordable place. The other thing that we have to recognize is that we need that long-term planning to ensure that we have a sustainable look at, at housing affordability for the province. We have to ensure that housing is not a commodity that is used to generate wealth for for people overseas and shareholders, but that it is for somewhere for people to live, for families to live, and so that they can be in their communities and ensure that they have that safety and security. This is what we need more than ever in BC. And when we have the other two parties uh, willing to give billions away to the oil and gas industry to keep that sunset industry alive, we're losing that capacity to really focus on people. All right. Thank you
0: very much. A question now for you on this topic, Mr. Wilkinson. Many British Columbians feel the previous B.C. Liberal government, which you were a part of, did not do enough to deal with skyrocketing housing prices and rampant real estate speculation. In your campaign platform, you say supply is also the answer. Well, isn't that the same answer that the previous government had? And if it didn't work then, why would it work now? We
1: should be clear. We brought in the foreign buyers tax in 2016, and that immediately plateaued housing prices. What we've seen since the NDP come in is a continuing rise in prices. They have brought in a a layer of programs that haven't had any results. I mean, it's surprising to hear John Horgan talking about any kind of results in housing because last year condominiums went up by 10% in Metro Vancouver, and next year they're supposed to go up another 8% while incomes are going down. This has been a colossal failure of public policy under the NDP. We also have to look at renting. The average renter in the lower mainland has seen a $2,000 increase in their annual rent since the NDP took office. Another complete failure of their program. When 60,000 people move to British Columbia every year from various places, and that will happen again after COVID and probably be increased after COVID, you have to house them. We need more housing, we need more transit, and we need to do it in a way that provides affordable housing and guarantees that rental housing will continue to be available and not converted into condos. We've talked about a real speculation tax to stop the flipping of paper condo contracts, which just drives the price up for the young people eventually who want to move in there. Time is up. So this is the way to deal with housing in a real fashion, not in a, a fake fashion like John Horgan has.
0: Thank you very much for that. Okay, so once again, now we're going to do our candidates debating each other. Candidates ask each other a question. They have 30 seconds to ask the question, one minute to respond, and two minutes of debate. The order has been chosen randomly this time. First up is Mr. Horgan. Go ahead with your question to who?
2: Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, uh, you put tolls on infrastructure in the Lower Mainland, you doubled medical services premiums, we eliminated tolls making it more affordable to travel in the Lower Mainland, we eliminated MSP premiums. You want to do a tax review but you won't tell us what taxes you're going to review. You oppose the speculation taxes but helping people get into houses, you oppose, oppose the employer health tax, you want to lower incomes for, for high income people, why don't you tell British Columbians what your plan is? Is another HST, is that what you're thinking out with your tax review?
1: Well, John, I think you're once again spinning tails. Your credibility is in shreds. You called this election for purely self-serving reasons. Your housing policy is a total failure. It's hard to point to anything you've accomplished in three years. There's not a single piece of construction that you've initiated that's actually underway. It's all just hopes and dreams. So we're talking about real things for real people. There will be no return to MSP premiums. Your idea of tax review seems to be to up it 23 times so that people can have less money in their pocket as they try to recover from a recession. And let's make no mistake, the people who are hurting the most are small businesses because property taxes are out of control for small business. That's what we're talking about doing a review of, is reviewing property taxes for small business so that they can survive. They were fading away even before COVID because your government did nothing to assist them. We're in tough now. We're in a real crisis and we have to respond with creative policies that's actually going to benefit people and get this economy going again. What we've seen under the NDP is stagnation, rising housing costs, flat incomes, and the inability of people to get ahead in our
0: society. Thank you for your response. Now go ahead with your response.
2: Uh, Andrew, people want to get through the pandemic, regular people. The people that Mm -hmm. you fired back in 2001, they want to get back into the economy. They want to participate fully in their community. And we've been focusing on programs for people. We've been saying we're going to hire 7,000 people to fill the gaps that you created in long-term care. That's going to take those that have been displaced in hospitality because of a global pandemic, closed borders, and a complete lack of travel. You make it sound in your charitable way as if somehow I'm the one that shut down uh, the economy internationally. This is a global pandemic, and I don't think you understand. You profess to have medical experience. I thought you would understand that the challenges that people facing right now are real. They're in homes and communities right across British Columbia, and name-calling will not help them. Programs and empathy will, and that's what we've been doing for the past year and a half, and we're going to continue doing that.
1: Let me tell you what will help them is calm, focused, disciplined leadership that addresses the problem directly, and your economic plan contains no relief and no support for small business, so there will be thousands upon thousands of bankruptcies in the next 12 months. Hundreds of millions of dollars, dollars Andrew. Hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And they've seen nothing in terms of your program providing any help whatsoever. You talk about caring. I'm the one who was there when the health budget went from $8 billion to $23 billion under the BC Liberals. Well, you doubled medical
2: services premiums. You get
1: things done. You're the people who like to say it's somebody else's fault. You have been the premier for three years, Mr. Horgan, and you are accountable for this colossal growth in housing prices for the uh, long-term care management system that you say is inadequate you were in charge of it for two and a half years before you say it was inadequate you didn't do anything andrew we've been
2: working we've been working tirelessly to address these challenges going forward and move
1: forward you'll never make progress unless you can admit your mistakes mr hardy
2: yeah
0: okay that's that's enough time that we have for that particular debate thank you very much Sonia Fersonow's turn is up. You have 30 seconds to ask the question. Who are you asking the question to?
3: The question's to John. And speaking of mistakes, this week, energy economist Robert McCullough's an analysis suggests that if you immediately canceled Site C, it would actually save BC hydro ratepayers $116 million per year. This project started with a price tag of $6 billion, then $10 billion. Now we don't even know what the price tag is because of the geotechnical instability. And Uh, things are going, the river diversion is happening. Will you, John, commit to cancelling Site C if the analysis is correct and it will save money for British Columbians to do so?
2: Site C was not a project that we started, not one that we would have started, but when we came to government, Sonia, as you know full well, there was a $4 billion bill that the BC Liberals had put on our backs, on your backs, on the backs of British Columbians. We brought in experts on the pro and the con side of Site C. We swore them in as cabinet ministers for a day to hear directly from them in a confidential way what their views were. And we made a tough decision to proceed with the project. Now we discover through investigations from engineers on site that there is instability on one of the banks of the river. We've asked an independent official who used to work for the BC Liberals, Peter Milburn, very capable guy an engineer a former deputy minister of finance he's doing an independent review he's going to be giving that information to government in the next number of weeks we're going to take a look at that and if it determines that we're on the wrong course we're going to take the appropriate action to protect bc hydro rate payers to protect british Columbians. but i want to reiterate this was a project started by liberals for no particular reason other than to get it past the point of no return that was the mantra of the former government and it's wrong and we're going to try our, our level best to fix that mess
0: okay now the
3: response It was absolutely not past the point of no return, and we know that the report that BCUC brought forward said that we could have generated the same amount of electricity using clean energy projects like wind, solar, Uh, we could be expanding our geothermal uh, energy in this province, we could be creating jobs in every part of BC, instead we're just pouring money down this hole and blaming it on somebody else when you had absolutely the capacity to stop it in 2017 is disingenuous and wrong. And under the cover of this election, BC Hydro has gone forward with diverting the river. So that is not responsible or reasonable when you don't even know what the price tag is going to be on this project. And more and more evidence. We knew about geotechnical issues in 2017. You knew about them. You chose to listen to the experts that told you to go ahead. You chose to ignore the experts who said that there were significant problems even at that time. And blaming anybody else is responsible. Well, you need to we, take accountability we this. We,
2: we are, I, am, I am accountable Sonia and I'm accountable for the decisions that will affect the lives of British Columbians in their homes in their communities and I take that very seriously each and every day. We take a balanced approach to our development of our economy making sure people are at the center of everything that we do. I agree with you that our clean tech sector is one of the strongest in North America. We continue to invest in this. In my own community the South First Nation has solar panels on every building on their reserve they live in a rainforest. they're selling power back to BC Hydro. That is the future. It's happening in every corner of British Columbia. You can do a several things at once. $4 billion is what the Liberals committed at Site C. We made a decision to proceed with it. I stand by that, but new evidence is coming forward in the next number of weeks. We'll take a good hard look at that evidence, and if the science tells us and the economics tells us that it's the yeah. wrong way to proceed, we'll take appropriate action. All
3: that's right. It. That's, you wanted, that's you all. We wanted the- to end self-sufficiency and tie us to the energy grid in the U.S. That's, that's all the time we
0: have for that particular debate. Thank you very much to both of you for that, but it is Andrew Wilkinson's turns to ask a question. You have 30 seconds. Mr. Wilkinson, who is your question to?
1: It's to Mr. Horgan, and it starts with the factual base, and let's see if John Horgan's prepared to admit to the facts, 23 taxes were either new or increased under the Horgan government since they took office in 2017. This is a major affordability problem for British Columbians, so I'm going to ask John Horgan point-blank NDP insiders are now talking about a road tax up to $3,000 per vehicle. Are you prepared to commit right here, right now, that there will be no such road tax under any NDP government?
2: I can commit to that right here, right now, Andrew, because you're just pulling that out of thin air. That's not part of our platform. It never has been, never will be. But let me talk about your platform for a minute. Your plans, before you were thrown out of government in 2017, was to double MSP premiums each and every year, regardless of how much money you made. If you were the highest income earner in British Columbia, you paid the same as the lowest income earner. That is regressive. That was harmful. We eliminated that, putting $1,800 into the pockets of families. You put tolls on infrastructure in the lower Lower mainland. We eliminated those tolls. You made a dumpster fire out of ICBC using it as an instant teller machine for your needs to cut taxes for your wealthy friends. We're fixing that and next year there'll be a 20% reduction in ICBC fees. You want to sell it after you drove it into the ditch. That's not the right way forward. Back to BC Hydro. Again, you gave Fat contracts to your buddies, driving up costs by $16 billion for ratepayers. They've been paying the price for that because of your bad policies. That's reality, not fiction, like you just described to me.
1: Well, this is a leadership moment for you, Mr. Horgan. Most of what you just said is completely untrue. You've told a series of lies in the last 30 seconds that you should apologize for.
2: Did There's you double no MSP, MSP premiums? Double
1: MSP pre- yes, she thing.
2: did. You yes, just made did. that up.
1: This idea that somehow you can concoct policy and blame it on me is another one of the things that you have trouble telling the truth about. You betrayed Sonia, and first now on the people of British Columbia on September 17th by ripping up the confidence and supply agreement that would have led to a year of stable government during this time where there's rapid growth in the number of COVID cases. You did that for your own personal ambition. So when it comes to telling the truth, we just turn to you and say, can you please look into the camera and say, with complete conviction, there will be no move to road tax in British Columbia. I just just
2: said that man, you're making it up and you you can go back and look at your own record on MSP premiums, it's there for all to see and more importantly, it's out of the pockets of British Columbians. This is about the confidence of British Columbians in their government, making sure they're working every day to reduce costs for people. That's what we've been doing since we started to fix the gaps that you created Pete by giving tax breaks to past. your rich you friends.
1: About 20 years ago, we're living in the present with a rapidly rising COVID count in this province, with shutdowns happening in Ontario and Quebec and all across the Western world. And all you want to talk about is what happened 20 years ago. You need to British tell people the truth to, about British your plan. Under- to tell people the truth about why we're having this election at all, because it's purely for your ambition after you double crossed on your first now three weeks ago.
2: Your charitable uh, conversation here, Andrew, is I think, belying the, your true personality here. You're, you're trying to th- foist your shortcomings on the rest of British Columbians. This is about them. It's not about you and me. it's not about Sonia. It's about British Columbians. Your PST cut. Correct. If you're buying a yacht, if you're buying a yacht, British you know, Columbians, Andrew Wilson Andrew Wilkins is the, the guy for you.
0: Okay, that's it on that particular question. Thank you for your lively and spirited debate. We're going to move on to our next segment here. And this time we feature hot topics. So what's going to happen here is that it's a different topic for each candidate. We're going to talk schools and COVID-19. We're going to talk the idea, ironically, of what you just brought up, their mobility pricing, and the issue that has been much talked about in the last 48 hours. We'll talk about diversity as well. So this time we're going to start with Andrew Wilkinson. Mr. Wilkinson, this is your question, and it does actually happen to be about mobility pricing. Now, your party platform says that the replacement for the Massey Tunnel would be toll-free, TransLink, though, is currently studying mobility pricing options like charging Metro Vancouver drivers things like congestion fees or road usage charges. All parties clearly have made affordability an issue, especially during the pandemic. Can you assure Metro Vancouver drivers that you will not go with mobility pricing?
1: This is not the time to be piling more taxes onto people who are already completely stressed. We heard from the accounting firms that 30% Thirty percent of British Columbians now have trouble paying their t- their bills. They're going into debt just to pay the cost of living every day. The unemployment rate is through the roof, and so the worst thing you could do right now is make it more difficult for people to get to work. We know this is being talked about in, by NDP insiders, and we've asked John Horgan to make his position clear. But the key point is, we need to get British Columbia moving again. We need to get British Columbia building again, and we can do that by restoring confidence in the economy with the kind of tax cuts we've talked about to get things moving again. British Columbia is in a very tight spot in the next 12 months and it calls for a calm, focused, disciplined plan so that we can move ahead. there are gonna be deficit spending for a couple of years, but we need to get this place growing again. And that means creating employment and supporting industries like tourism rather than John Horgan telling them to all give up, go back to school and become contact tracers for the health ministry. That's temporary work, John.
0: That's time's up on that. Young. Thank they you very thank hard. you very much. Time's up. That was your minute. Our next question doctor. our That's next doctor. our next question is for John Horgan, leader of the BC NDP. Now, there's been a lot of criticism about your government's plans to restart the school system a month ago. Today, many parents say they're still worried. They don't necessarily feel safe, and they say there's not enough support for keeping everyone healthy. Do you think your government could have done a better job in communicating to those parents? And what do you say to those with concerns, the teachers, the students, the parents?
2: Well, we can always do better, Simi. Uh, it was an extremely challenging time for all British Columbians through the pandemic, but also all Canadians. Uh, my daughter-in-law is a teacher. I have a niece who's a teacher and she has a compromised immune system. So I'm hearing directly from my family and people in my community, the concerns and fears that they have. But I'm also hearing about the delights on the faces of children when they get back to school to be with their friends and participate in the education system. Dr. Henry's been pretty clear. The, uh, the mental health impacts of not being in school are significant, so we need to make sure we're doing our level best to protect people. We put in place uh, teams of teachers, uh, uh parents, uh, support workers, administrators, to make sure that we had the safest restart we could possibly have. And they are amending those plans every single day. What we need in Surrey is not the same as what we need in Saanich or Sycamus or Salmon Arm. Communities will have to work through this school by school. Families need to know that they can intervene and talk to the the administrators in their schools to make progress. That's the best way forward. We're in a pandemic. We need to understand that and we will be for the foreseeable future.
0: Thank you very much. Our next question is for Sonia Fersenau. You spoke during the television leaders debate on Tuesday evening about the impact of race and privilege, and you said everyone needs to work together to address the impact of racism, and you were widely praised for your response to that. Yet, of your party's 74 candidates that are running in this election, approximately one-third are women, and of the 74, approximately 10 are people of colour. Your party has the least diversity among all the candidates of the three parties here today. How do you reconcile your statements with who you put forward as candidates?
3: Thank you, Simi. And uh, snap elections are really hard on democracy and they're hard on diversity. Of course, this is a, a very important value for me is that our party reflects and looks like British Columbia reflects the diversity that we need to have. Asking people, To drop their lives on a dime, giving them 24 hours to decide whether or not they're running in an election is a hard ask to make. It's even harder to make that ask of people of colour, of women of colour, of Indigenous people, of Black people. And we did make those asks. And in many cases, we heard from people who said, "I, I would want to do this. I can't stop my life right now. What happens in a snap election is it literally privileges privileged people who have that capacity to drop their lives and be able to jump into this. I had one week as leader to be able to bring forward our platform and our candidates. I will continue to work incredibly hard to make sure that our next slate of candidates is far more diverse than our current one.
0: Thank you very much for that. Now we get to our debate portion of this, which is where the candidates can ask each other a question. Once again, 30 seconds to ask the question, one minute to respond, two minutes to debate. First up, it's Mr. Wilkinson. Go ahead.
1: Well, thanks, uh, Sammy. And uh, the question is for uh, Sonia. You had a confidence and supply agreement that was rock solid to carry on to the next fixed election day in October of 2021. On September 17th, John Horgan met you in his office, I gather, and tore that agreement up. So could you ever trust John Horgan again with any kind of agreement?
3: Thank you. He didn't actually tear the agreement up in the office when I met with him. I made the case to him that Adam and I were absolutely committed to continuing to provide the stability in government that has served the people of BC and in, the, in this context that we're in, in a global pandemic with another overlapping health crisis, the opioid crisis, Uh, and recognizing that we have people and businesses that are looking at this winter as what will be the toughest winter of their lives. I heard yesterday, and this is devastating to me, that businesses here in Cowichan have gotten their eviction notices for December 31st. We need to be getting that rental help to them. The stories about what tourism operators realizing they're not going to be eligible for the criteria that's been put forward by the government to help the tourism sector is devastating. We should be in that legislature. And for me, the commitment is that we all need to work together to serve the people of BC. That's what they need from us right now. Mr. Wilkinson?
1: And I think that both um, Sonia and I had that experience in the summer of realizing British Columbia is in crisis. We said it's time to fight the virus, not each other. We worked with the Green Party and assisted the NDP to get the budget passed to provide extra uh, financial space to help British Columbians. And then we saw John Horgan play games with it. He dragged out the consultation process. He ignored the BC Business Council. He ignored the Chambers of Commerce. They had to put out their own reports with suggestions, one of which we picked up was to abolish the sales tax for a period of time and instead uh, working with Sonia we had the experience of basically being double-crossed by John Horgan. He's used this for his own personal ambition and called an election three days after telling Sonia that he was dismissing the NDP uh, green agreement not in the interest of the people of British Columbia but in his own interest and I guess the reflection with Sonia is is this someone you could ever trust again
3: you know I, I think we've made we've we've made the mistake in politics of 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 conflating um, partisanship and governance. And for me, the moment we get into that legislature, the moment we're elected, is the moment we stop representing our party to the people, and we start representing the people that have elected us, the people that we represent in all of British Columbia. And this is so essential in the times that we're in. We are in so many crises and we have allowed bad decision-making, non-evidence decision-making to be so dominant in our province and in so many places around the world. We're in this climate emergency because governments have not had the courage to take the action and the steps that they need to take. We're in an overdose crisis and we're now in this economic crisis. And people need to know from us, That we are there for them, not for our parties, but for the people of this province. That is what I'm committed to above everything else.
0: Thank you very much for that. Our next question is from John Horgan. You have 30 seconds to ask the question, who is it to? It's to Sonia.
2: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Sonia, you and I did work together on many, many initiatives that made life better for British Columbians in the short term and in the long term. Our climate action plan, uh, I celebrate as you do, as the most progressive forward-looking plan in North America. But when it comes to helping people right now, we don't seem to be on the same page. I wanted to bring down hydro rates. You blocked that bill. I want to give a $1,000 benefit to families who are struggling right now. You don't support that. Why?
3: So your $1,000 benefit is one of your campaign promises. Uh, As has been pointed out, if this was part of the COVID recovery money, that was something that was approved by all three parties in the legislature this summer. However, a $1,000 payout right now, the question that I have for you is what is the outcome for that? Because over a billion dollars invested into our public education system could move us from a feeling of scarcity in our classrooms to a feeling of abundance. Cutting the, uh, having operation funding grants go down uh, in at the end of September because it was the status quo approach in a pandemic to how we're doing operational funding grants in education was a mistake. And your Bill 17 undermined the capacity for us to build a truly made in BC regional clean energy economy. That's what we believe in. And that's the important thing. Tying ourselves to the U.S.'s uh, energy sector and where we could be getting electricity that comes from oil, that comes from gas, that comes from coal, is not the future we want for B.C. We want to build our own clean energy economy here where we're creating sustainable jobs in every community of this province. That's your
0: response time. Now go ahead.
2: We agree on much of what you just said, Sonia, but my point is people need help right now. People wanna get through this pandemic knowing that government's focusing on them, not just for the next few months, but for the next few years. The challenges we face are daunting. We've all acknowledged that, some in different levels of, uh, of volume over the past uh, 45 minutes or so. I think we all agree that what we need to do is focus on people, not on each other, not on whether we like each other or this or that, but we do have to acknowledge that there were challenges created by previous government policies. And we have been working, you and I, to try and resolve those. But today, right now, people need help and we're focused on getting that help. This money's in our platform was not part of the monies approved in the, in, in the budget over the summer. This let's, is a new plan going forward and we're asking people to make a choice between our plan, your plan and Mr. Wilkinson's plan.
3: Let's be really clear here. So the case you're making right now, John, is that because we had a disagreement about a bill, uh, and about no. the future no. No, this is the case you're making, is that that justified you not focusing on people right now, throwing us into an election. We might not have the outcome of this election until the middle of November. We might not have a cabinet back in place until December. You're trying to make the case that a disagreement over legislation that Adam and I made clear to your ministers and to the staff that we would work with you to find a path forward on these pieces of legislation. That's what good governance is. When you hear different perspectives, when you hear different viewpoints, when you work together to make the best outcomes of legislation, you're making the case that that was sufficient to call an unnecessary election during a global pandemic? People need to understand that total obedience is not something that is good for governance. It's not something that's good for the people of BC, and it's not something that's expected in a confidence and supply agreement that has provided stability and some of the best governance that we have seen in this province in decades.
2: It's about the confidence of British Columbians. That's paramount. Okay, I'm going to cut off
0: that debate right there because that is our two minutes on that particular question. The last question here goes to Sonia. First to know, you have 30 seconds to ask your question. Who is it to?
3: Thank you, Sumi. It's to John. The B.C. Liberals have thrown away all notion of climate action out the window this week by announcing their plans to pursue a second LNG facility in northern B.C., something that we actually expect you will do as well. It wasn't the B.C. Liberals who landed the first one. You threw billions more public dollars subsidizing this massive oil company. And even the BC, then even the Liberals were willing to, in order to land LNG Canada, we were the only ones, the Greens were the only ones to vote against that $6 billion subsidy. How do you square this? How do you say that you can be a climate leader while you are offering massive subsidies to the oil and gas and the fracking industry in this province?
2: The $6 billion was not a a subsidy, it was a deferral. The money will be owed once the project is complete. The benefits to the community, $41 billion being injected into the BC economy, is critical now more than ever as we come through COVID. And it does fit within our climate plan that we worked on together. Do we have more work to do? Absolutely. That's why we're investing in tech spaces in our post-secondary institutions so that the next scientists, the next innovators, the next generation will help us unlock the challenges that we all face together. I'm proud of what we did together, Sonia, on climate action. I believe that LNG can and does fit within our plan. I agree with you that Mr. Wilkinson's approach is to just let her rip. That's not our approach. We will be guided by science. We'll be be guided by economics. And to call the $6 billion deferral of taxes a subsidy in this case is not correct.
3: Well, let's be clear here. Let's look at the cost here. So at the beginning, we have the fracking to get the gas out of the ground. And that has the uh, deep well tax credit, which has billions, literally billions of dollars in credit. So those companies are not going to be paying any revenues to BC or to the people at any time soon. But you're going to get the methane emissions from that. You're also going to get groundwater contamination. You're also going to get the earthquakes that are uh, destabilizing the infrastructure of dams. And then you're going to build Sightsee Dam to give subsidized electricity to the LNG company and the fracking companies so that they can pay less in electricity while while rate payers in BC pay more in electricity because of this project. Then we go down through Wet'suwet'en territory and the absolute chaos and conflict that came out of that decision to ram this pipeline through people's territories when they have not consented. And then we get down to the other end uh, and exporting LNG. This is not the future of our energy economy. It never should be. And the impacts and the costs at every step of this project are devastating, not to mention the methane emissions that are uh, one of the fastest uh, causes of climate change and the costs of climate mitigation and adaptation that are borne mostly by local governments that don't have the support to do it from the provincial government. This is not a plan for the future of our province. This is an absolute giveaway And it is a rejection of the need to have climate leadership in 2020 when we are in a global climate emergency.
2: We work together on the most progressive climate action plan in the continent. I stand by it. I hope you still stand by it. We believe in the NDP that you can have industrial activity and a clean environment at the same time. But we all have to work together, sector by sector, to make sure we drive down those emissions. We need to look at new innovations and new technologies that are emerging every day in British Columbia and around the world. We're world leaders in this area, but we need to have spaces in our universities so the next generation can come up with the ideas that will unlock these challenges and and quite
0: frankly, save us all.
3: Thank stand you. by the plan, Thank but not by the to- largest point source emission of greenhouse gases. Thank that you for put- your
0: time on that. That wraps up that debate or that part of our debate today. Uh, The next and last part of our debate comes courtesy of our listeners out there. So this is a little bit different for you. We've been receiving lots of suggestions from listeners for questions, and we've narrowed down one for each of you today. Our first question is for Sonia Fersenow and the BC Greens, and it comes from June. June says, I am a high school student from École Salish Secondary in Surrey, Cloverdale. BC is projecting a $12.8 billion budget deficit this year before all the new programs and everything announced by the parties. June says, this money is borrowed from future generations of British Columbians like myself and will result in cuts to public services or higher taxes in the long run. Yet in this election, there has been very little mention of the need for fiscal responsibility across all parties. Do you at the Green Party, do you have a plan to get the budget back to balance, June says?
3: Thank you, June, and I really appreciate the question. And it's another example of why we should be extending the vote to sixteen and seventeen-year-olds. High school students are deeply engaged in the world around them and should have the right to vote. Uh, we have the most fiscally responsible platform because everything in our platform identifies the outcomes that we are trying to achieve. So when the the BC Liberals decide that they're going to take seven billion dollars out of government revenue with the PST cut, or when the NDP are going to take a $1.3 billion uh, and give it away in a $1,000 giveaway, neither of those have any outcomes identified. In our platform, every single proposal has an outcome for how we help people today, but how we get to a more sustainable and thriving economy. And yes, it's going to be work to get there, but if we stimulate the economy in the right way, we will have the the revenues coming back to government in a sustainable way.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Our next question from a listener is for you, Mr. Wilkinson. And this is from Mark. Mark says, Mr. Wilkinson, can you admit that BC Liberals screwed up BC Hydro and ICBC during their 16 years in power? Mark says, I voted Liberal every election except the last one since I graduated high school in 2002. Mark says, I just want to hear an apology, an admission that Christy Clark and Gordon Campbell screwed up. And what makes you different?
1: Well, I'm a new leader. I came on in February of 2018. And if we look at BC Hydro, it is a clean, green major asset which keeps BC's electricity green forevermore. That's a major asset that we should actually be valuing. There are obvious issues you can talk about in terms of management and rates here and there, but overall BC Hydro is a successful entity and we need to continue to support it. In terms of ICBC, we say, gee, you know, this is a 47-year-old state-run monopoly and can we do better? Sure, things could have been done differently or better in the past, but we're in the present where young people have seen their premiums go from $1,500 to as high as $7,000. So we've said that will ruin your life as a young person because you just can't afford to get around. So we've said give young drivers a two to four year credit depending on where they've taken driver ed. They do this in New Brunswick, we can do it here. And that would give young drivers a real boost in life so they can actually get going and they would also be able to choose between ICBC and the competition. Okay, Sadly, the NDP say we're all up. beholden to the ICBC and we've just got to pay and pay and pay.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wilkinson. Your time is up on that. Uh, Mr. Horgan, your question is about homelessness and this comes from Tracy. Tracy said, I've noticed a large increase in homelessness throughout Vancouver and Metro Vancouver. There are large homeless camps that have been relocated multiple times throughout this pandemic. How will your government, what more will you do to work to house and support homeless people in this province? Additionally, how will you support mental health and rehabilitation as we have seen a continuing uptick in overdose deaths this year? You have one minute.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I want to tell a story to respond to this question. I met uh, a man named AJ uh, in Maple Ridge who had been living in a a homeless encampment until he was given modular housing that we built uh, in and around the area. He ended up getting a job. He ended up stopping using. He still considers himself an addict, but he's not using anymore. He now has a place to call his own home and he does normal things and he has hope in his life for the first time in a decade. That's one individual. We need to duplicate that story right across the board. Having a standalone minister of mental health and addictions, the first in Canada, has allowed us to deep dive into these challenges and understand that we needed to double the treatment beds, again, uh, left uh, behind by the former BC Liberal government. We need to make sure that we have safe supply challenges addressed in communities across BC, working with the cities, working with the federal government to make sure that everyone is lifting, to to make sure that we're giving hope to people rather than hopelessness. We need compassion uh, for the homeless and those that are afflicted with addiction not contempt.
0: Thank you very much for that. Uh, Our questions are all done. Everybody okay? Everybody hang in there? It's been quite an hour. So we thank you very much for your time today. Uh, We've covered a lot of different topics. Before we leave everybody though, it's a last chance to hear from the party leaders with their closing statement. Once again, we chose the order randomly here. Each party leader has a minute and a half for their closing statement. And yes, I will be enforcing that. First up, we hear from BCNDP leader, John Horgan.
2: Thanks, Simi. Since March, our lives have been turned upside down. Nobody anticipated a pandemic, but NBC, we're doing the right thing. Taking advice from Dr. Henry has put us in a very solid place and all three leaders will agree on that. But the challenges we face will require more work than just the next few months. It will take the next few years. I believe that we need to ask in this election, where do British Columbians want to go and who do they want to lead them? Mr. Wilkinson's plan calls to making sure that the wealthy and the well-connected get their breaks. Our plan is different. We're focused on people by making sure we're investing in healthcare child care, seniors care, and building schools across British Columbia, infrastructure across British Columbia. These are extraordinarily challenging times for families and that's why a thousand dollar COVID benefit will help families along the way. We have the leading climate action plan on the continent. We have a plan to go forward to get us out of this pandemic and keep people safe, secure and healthy. I believe British Columbians understand the challenges that we have ahead of us. It's about them. It always has been, and it always will be. I am proud and privileged to have the opportunity to serve my community. I'm hopeful that for the next four years, we can focus on the things that British Columbians need. Let's get this through, through this pandemic
0: together. Thank you very much for that. Uh, next up for closing statements. Once again, a minute and a half. It's Sonia Fersano. Go ahead.
3: Thank you, Simeon. Thank you for the opportunity to have this uh, debate and I hope that it again helps uh people make their choices in this very important election. Taking advice from Dr. Henry was the right thing to do in a global pandemic. Just as we should be taking advice from the experts and the scientists who are telling us that if we are not acting on climate, we are going to be facing dire consequences. Young people have been gathering in the hundreds of thousands around the world, trying to get decision makers and leaders to listen. We need to take advice from small businesses and hear what they need right now. They need help getting their rent paid. They need help getting through this winter. Tourism operators in BC who have been the backbone of so many of our local economies are looking at the criteria of of the grants and they can't see how they're gonna make it through this winter. We have overlapping health crises. We should have been taking Dr. Bonnie Henry's advice as of 2018 when she wrote a report on how to address the health crisis. We need more evidence decision, uh, evidence-driven decision making in BC. We need less rhetoric, less blaming. We need to have more listening that goes on. We've seen what collaboration can deliver in this province. We've seen that it gives better outcomes. We need to ensure that at the outside, at the end of this election, we're not back to two parties yelling at each other across the aisle. But we Thank have those conditions for collaboration and cooperation. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Wilkinson, you're up. You have a minute and a half.
1: Thank you, Simi. And this has been a very helpful uh, exercise to get the positions and the style, of the leaders on the table. We're in a deep spot in British Columbia in terms of the economic future. This will be a long, dark winter. We've heard from the major accounting firms that half of households expect someone to lose a job in the next 12 months. One quarter of small businesses are expected to close down the next 12 months, 30% of people already can't pay their bills. And so you need to decide, as a voter here in British Columbia, who you think can lead us out of this darkness. Under the NDP, we've seen the worst ever housing affordability, the worst ever homelessness situation, tent camps proliferating around the province of British Columbia, we've seen overdose deaths that have never been recorded before and we've seen a premier who has a real problem telling the truth we all know why we're having this election because John Horgan called Sonia first down to his office tore up the agreement that would have led to stable government for the next year purely to suit his own ambition so you have to decide who is the best person to lead us into the future and to get us through this pandemic As a medical doctor, I said to our team right in March, it's time to fight the virus, not each other. And Sonia and I stood by that through the summer, only to be double-crossed by John Horgan with his desire to feed his ambition with an unnecessary election. We can do better. We can cut PST to zero and get our economy going again. We can have real $10 day daycare. We can have choice in auto insurance. Thank you,
0: Mr. Have Wilkinson. Have infrastructure
1: programs that build BC, and that's the BC Liberal way, and that's what I am offering to you.
0: Thank you very much to all three of you. That brings us to the end of our leaders' debate here on 980 CKNW. Thanks to everyone for joining us and for our party leaders today. Just a reminder about voting. Voting day is October 24th, and if you're one of the hundreds of thousands of people who've received a mail-in ballot, please remember it must be received by Elections BC by the 24th, and if that doesn't work for you, well, there's advanced voting getting underway today, running through next week. Check the Elections BC website for all the details. And please, no matter which party is your choice, please vote. Thank you for your time today.